Ahoy, fellow fossils! And welcome aboard the Joy of Trek, a doctrine-defying podcast exploring the plasma conduits and anodyne relays of Star Trek. All, All of it. it. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And shrouded by an interphasic cloaking device is your chief engineer, Greg. Together, we're on a mission through the ancient cave systems of Star Trek to find the hope in every hadrosaur and the excellence in every episode. Even the famed antagonism. <laughs> because every episode must be someone's favorite, and it might as well be ours. So polish your little globes and join us as we holographically extrapolate our genome into... The, the Joy, Joy of, of Trek! Trek. <laughs> Ooh, there we go. Hello and welcome, listeners. Yes. Oh, I've been excited to do this one for for a good bit because this was actually one of the first recommendations we got when I was. Sort oh, of, very nice. When I was exploring the possibility of like doing a Star Trek podcast, like anything that speaks to you personally. We are doing Voyager season three, episode twenty three, Distant Origins. First aired April thirtieth, nineteen ninety seven. Written by Brannon Braga and Joe Minoski, and directed by David Livingston. Directed very well, I think. And it was recommended to us by. Hello, y'all. This is Toledo. Thank you for considering one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek. I love this episode, Distant Origin. Here are the reasons I provided to Kaki back when I recommended it. He's a very well-organized scientist, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, and so when I asked him, hey, what's like your favorite episode of Star Trek that no one else would think about? He came back with immediately distant origin and he had a seven point like uh, yes. plan. So first, one of the episode's themes is a favorite of mine, namely people discovering that their past is different, interesting and complicated. Number two, the idea of humans finding basically cousins in space is really cool. And it raises so many unknown questions like, how did they get there? Number three, Distant Origin is one Star Trek episode that deals with issues of religion or mythology and shows how those are used to structure power and identity in complicated ways. It also demonstrates that advocates working to change ingrained narratives often run afoul not just of power structures, but of their opponents' identities. Yes. As yeah. I mentioned, he has a cultural and scientific background. Oh, you haven't heard of Toledo directly, but in an episode of uh, So Farscape that we yeah. used to do, uh, we were talking about, weirdly, not Farscape, but the film Pitch Black with Claudia Black. Oh, in yes, it. yes. One of our uh, great hiatuses. Yeah. And uh, uh, Toledo, this is a very distant sort of cousin yes. uh, uh, connection, was one of the invited guests on a podcast that examined like religion in, in science fiction. Uh-huh. And so there were Muslim uh, pilgrims. Yes, in Pitch Black, yes, on their way to Space Mecca. Yes, exactly. Or uh, Mecca 2, the sequel to Mecca. Right. Mecca, t- Mecca 2, Mecca and mecca er. But so I've always been fascinated by, by his perspective. Toledo is a, a Mormon, Latter-day Saint, I believe they're, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're called. But he's also gay, like, uh, yeah. like we are. And so he has a very like diverse and fascinating relationship with, with yes, religion. I can well imagine, yes. Tremendously uh, interesting. So he also said, point four. That- um, I recently watched the 1968 Planet of the Apes movie and was struck by the parallels to Distant Origin. There are conflicts over doctrine, over personhood and rights, over history. 
However, Chakotay is a much better person than Charlton Heston's character. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because it's actually modeled upon the Galileo's trial by uh, uh, the Catholic Church. Oh, wow. That's what the writers had in mind when they wrote this episode and how, uh, yes, he was presenting evidence. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all nice that you have evidence, but it goes against our doctrine. And uh, yes, his yeah. refusal to recant his... Uh, scientific findings you know i've learned more about that recently than i learned in, yes. in school that it's not it's yeah no, no, no we're fine with the whole earth rotating about uh, about the sun yeah we're, Hallie had the same thing yeah. people would but you wrote the earth rotates around the sun and therefore, therefore god, god doesn't, doesn't exist. Yes. and we do have a problem with that, that part yes <laughs> like we're, we're fine with the first part but we're not fine with the second part and so, because yes. we are the church yeah. it's kind of like our whole thing yeah and, uh, i love that in the uh <laughs> What's it called? I think it's called The Body. Mm-hmm. It's a, um, I don't want to say Jose Carreras, but he's a singer, but uh, Antonio Banderas film. Ooh, 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 yeah, I'm into it now. About, actually, they find the grave of Jesus Christ. Oh. And there's a, bod- and there's a body in there. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. That, no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not how it's supposed to go. So he gets sent to Jerusalem as a, uh, yeah, to, but, but of course the old, the, the hostage Jews want to keep, want, want to steal the body and bury it properly because that's their thing. And oh, it, yeah, it, because it turns, Jesus was yeah, Jewish. And it, yes, and it yeah. turns into a massive, uh, yeah, thing. Because of course, like if it is the body of Jesus. Then he wasn't physically trans- for, transported yes, to, and, to. Which is one of uh, the, uh, the core the tenets of, of the uh, Catholic Church, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because there's like, there's like two people with bodies in heaven, according to the the, the Christian doctrine. Jesus and Maria. Yeah, Jesus went on his own power, but Mary was was transported. I think it's just them. I think nobody else. Yeah, probably not. Oh, and this reminds me of something that I learned from that podcast about Pitch Black. I learned about like ancestral Muslim concepts of like they were they were doing some some stuff that we'd consider like science fiction or. Oh, okay. So they had this idea of different worlds, like different different planets, paradise being one of them, and oh, Earth right. being one of them. Yes. But they also had a like more complex cosmology. Mm. And the idea that it was possible to travel between them, but you would have a world-appropriate body in each of them. Okay. So that's, you know, how you can travel to paradise after your death on Earth. You leave this body behind, and then you have a new one there. But also, there are other worlds, and if you were to travel them, you'd have to have a... An appropriate body for that world. Yeah. Isn't, isn't which, that part of the history, or at least the, the lore behind assassins, the, the Hashashin, where they basically got them stoned oh. out of their gourds and then replaced, uh, put them in a, in, in a, in a palatial environment, with all that where, and that's what's then meant to, meant to get them to think that they were then transported into heaven. Uh, and then they oh, were, whoa. And then they were like, cast back, and then they had to like, go and kill people to come back. I'm not entirely sure on the details. You but, may be mixing up like Assassin's Creed <laughs> and a little bit of Discworld, the Hashishim, <laughs> as they're known there. Right. <laughs> okay, uh, point number five. I'm actually really into this multi-point yes. like, structure. I'm not necessarily going to encourage everyone to do that, but... It's always fun when Starfleet runs into super powerful alien races. That's something that Voyager really did. I oh, yes, yeah. Including with uh, the Sakarans with the spatial trajector technology. Like, what does the Prime Directive look like when you're on the other side of it? Mm. Number six. For an episode that's partly a parallel to intelligent design versus evolution conversations, Distant Origin misunderstands evolution hilariously. And I think that's important. You can make significant narrative points without being accurate in every factual respect. In this sense, it's a bit like the Next Generation's episode, Darmok, where the linguistics make absolutely no sense, but the emotions do. You know what? I think this preempts our warp core ejection. Mm. 
So I think we actually shouldn't reject the warp core about okay. evolution. Ah, no, who am I kidding? We're definitely going to do that. But there's yes. one more point. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, yes. <laughs> Which is so cool. Well, that's originally how the episode was going to start. They started as the premises as basically dinos with automatic weapons. Oh, which, wow. Which was then... That seems uh, like a Stargate episode. It kind of does, yes. Which was then uh, by one of the writers, I think it was Minoski, who said, like, basically walked into them and said, yeah, it's, it's only dinosaurs with guns. Like, we need something else. And oh, then, cool. And then they added, and they turned it into the Galileo trial, basically, for, um, what's his name, what's his name? Gaben? Gagan. Gagan, yes, Gagan, again, which is theorized, we got this name, because in German, it means, means against, against. Or yes, so he, he was, yeah, he was going against the, oh, the, the doctrine, yes. This episode is also recommended to us by another listener, Hoofbird, who had previously recommended Explorers. Unfortunately, due to the subspace distortions that's just causing the time disparity between Kaki K and I, they won't be able to hear this, nor comment on this at all, but here's Hoofbird telling us on why he recommended it. This episode has anything you could want in a Star Trek episode. It's got creationist dinosaurs, alien natural history, the word evolution doing quite a lot of legwork, pre-Alvarez hypothesis paleontology, and several awkwardly included stock photos. From last time I watched the series a number of years back, this was... Probably one of the more conceptually wild episodes in a show with a lot of wild episodes. Also, due to POV, it barely includes the Voyager crew at all, which is a very interesting choice. Oh, and Veer, because he was sort of veering off a I little guess. bit. I mean, but... he was, I mean, Veer, I mean, it reminded me of Veer, which actually kind of looked a bit... Right, Veer from, uh, <laughs> from Babylon, uh, Babylon 5. Babylon yes. 5. Well, yeah, but in terms of his character, he reminded me a lot more of his Minbari counterpart, Lanier. Right, yes. Right, who was also like a, a little tryhard, right, and <laughs> yeah. immensely impressed by his mentor. Oh, I'm so excited by this. I say we eject the warp core! Fine, let's do the perfunctory dumping of the warp yes, core. Because the computer is asked to run a, a genome extrapolation. And we immediately, like, Pointed air horns at the screen. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, no, that's not how it works. There is no evolution without external factors. Yes. And it doesn't so, work like that. You can't, like, predict how... I mean, this is the second time that we've kind of, like, had this yeah. come, come uh, in, in Voyager. You can't extrapolate evolutionary processes without knowledge of the environment. Exactly. Then and, you get... Ooh, ooh, yeah. hold on. Red alert, shields up. Yeah. They know a lot of planets. True. Right? They know a lot of environments. And these are, well, we know for sure, oxygen breathers. Mm-hmm. And what if oxygen breathers just have so much in common Yeah. that you can literally actually do this just based on statistical probability? Mm-hmm. We know of all of these uh, ancestral species on different oxygen-rich worlds right. that resulted in, okay, so principal bipeds on some other planet would have been like kangaroo mice or whatever. I suppose, yeah. If you've already like got grasping fingers, so not kangaroos, forget about that. Marsupials don't really do grasping. Uh-huh. Wait, what am I saying? That is what they do, because when they're yeah. when they're born, they need to climb. Oh, yes. Right, marsupials, they're, they're born rac- as kind of raccoons do. They kind of like a fake thumb. They can't, it's not actually opposing, but they can still do a little graspy with it. Yeah. And you carry things over to wash them. and there's a, Gently wash yes. them, yes. <laughs> but so, hey, maybe... With sufficient, like, statistical information about species and and planets, you actually could. Maybe it's, like, super unlikely for a biped ancestral species to not evolve into... Yeah, Yeah, who knows? On the other hand, if you see how micro-evolution 
how quickly that happens. Mm. How how birds get shorter beaks because they they they're seed eaters. They they move from eating seeds from from insects to seeds. Or how oh yeah, uh, city foxes have shorter muzzles than country foxes because. Country foxes need to get like their nose into holes to to into eat little birds. Oh, but city foxes need to get, need to get in, into trash cans, and yeah. shorter muzzles are better for that. Yeah, because then you want to you want to <laughs> yeah. you want to wedge to exactly. Sort of, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, which which means and so that, so yeah, tiny little environmental things have massive influence on evolutionary change. Like, yep. Anyway, no, uh, but this is one, this is this no, is fundamentally true because like evolution is the the ultimately you can describe it as the survival of the fittest, mm-hmm. but fitness. Depends on your environment. What fits? Right. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. I was, no, I was, I was going to continue because I've got one more little thing for the warp core. Appropriate. Uh, Voyager has a secondary warp core. Yeah. Hey, well, I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it might just be terminology because, but at one point uh, when the, the aliens are shadowing the Voth. Voyager, the Voth, yes, mm. they go like, "Take us out of transwarp." Yes. Which is, I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure that, like the last, well, the last episode we did when they were experimenting with transwarp capability. Ah, yes. So, but it's always like, okay, so let's take the analogy back. Like, transonic yeah. is the area around uh, supersonic speeds. Yeah. But so I can imagine transwarp being like, okay, we are now like about around warp speeds. But it's in the past that's been used for going beyond. So you get warp ten. That's transwarp. Yes, there have been various technologies called transwarp. Excelsior, famously, was an experimental oh, space shifter, wasn't it? No, no, no. You're thinking of the Pegasus in mm. the Next Generation era. In the original series movies era, you had the Excelsior, which oh, yeah. was supposed to have like transwarp engines. Ah, the great experiment didn't actually prove to be to be workable. And there have been several other, I think, attempts at, at transwarp technologies. I guess it's a, it's, 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 the term is loosely used. I guess just faster than warp. So, yeah. but I guess transwarp sounds more sciencey than superwarp. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I think would be accurately... I mean, I guess most people don't know that when it comes to uh, to transonic. It's not past sonic, it's the area oh, around the speed intriguing. of sound. Yes. Yeah. Because you can, you can hear it whenever there's the radio uh, calls, when, they're, when a uh, SpaceX rocket is landing. Uh-huh. One of the calls that comes out is vehicle is transonic, which means it's actually dropping below the speed of sound. Oh, because it's crossing the threshold. Yes. Yeah. Getting either the sonic boom or is there an opposite effect? No, no, it's just no, that, that, that be, it, it, the sonic boom just stops and oh, now we hear the sonic boom. That's when they break the sound. But no, they're already past. Just that's just when the sound reaches you. Yeah, like this. Yeah. No. that's when the bubble <laughs> sort of extends. Oh, this is so exciting! I re- I love a really sciencey episode. It is, and it, it's like that. It's like actual science, science, and not techno babble science. Well, with the exception of the uh, the, the genome extrapolation. This is such a difference in. <laughs> Anyway. Okay, let's let's jump in with because yeah, I, I like that it examines a lot of the not necessarily flaws, but like science is imperfect. It's a sort of spiraling motion toward the best approximation of what is true with the information that you have available, mm-hmm. and you're going to be either too cautious and not learn anything useful, or you're going to draw too much conclusion from a limited data set yes. and get something wrong. And you have your the, boots of conclusion jumping on. And the latter is usually better. As long as you have the scientific process like under your butt to support you, yeah. then you're able to, if you get new information, reflect on past conclusions and reject them if they're wrong and move on with yeah. confidence. But we start off on, hey, I think that this is a planet Voyager's been to before. Correct. 
Do, you, do we yes, have an we idea? Know that. It is yeah. uh, just the basic. They went in the third season opener. Uh, basics. Basics part two, yes. Uh, ah, and yeah. the remains that are found are those of Ensign Hogan. Ah, who, who okay. Died there Engineer? By, yeah, it's called Ensign Hogan. Was uh, killed by a native life farm on that planet. Ah, uh, yeah, that was a tough way to start a season. I didn't, haven't seen it, so... <laughs> Yay, we have something to look forward to. Going from memory, and Chief, please correct me if I'm wrong, the Kazon, under leadership or advisement of Seska, mm-hmm. the Cardassian infiltrant yes. on Chakotay's Maquis ship who'd snuck aboard, seized control of Voyager and dumped the crew on this planet with just ah. blankets and knives. And that's what Basics is about, like going back ah, to basic back training, to basics, surviving, yes. and, well, unfortunately... Uh, the native environment proved quite hostile and Ensign Hogan didn't survive, but he was left behind. And now we have these Hadrosaur-looking dudes. Yeah. They're so cool. So this was actually quite a challenge for the makeup uh, department run by Michael Westmore, apparently. Oh, the legendary uh, Westmore. Yes, because they're, they're showing a lot of these Voth in the episode and they only had time to one, make one basic head. So he did a face cast of one of the females and designed a different version for the rest of them. Huh. And then they had the gloves, which were basically one size fits all, which you can kind of see that, like, it's, it's kind of tricky to, like, uh, yes, but I thought it worked quite, quite yes. well because they have loose skin. Yes. Right? So it's okay to have some, yep. uh, as most animals are. I mean, most animals, like, they're attached at the orifices, or the skin is attached at the orifices, and then for the rest, it's, it's sort of like a, yeah. it, it's kind of loose. You see it certainly with, with yep. mammals like cats. Yeah, well, right. Famous, yeah. Honey badgers. Honey badgers. Also bags of loose skin. Also bones with bag of loose skin around it. And a lot of muscle and hatred. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, there were like six or seven of the Voth lying around, which is quite a lot for a uh, I was Voyager say, episode. Yeah. And I also noticed like sexual dimorphism in mm-hmm. the in, yep. in the ridges. Professor Gagan, he has much flatter, more rectangular nose ridges, and his daughter and the minister, they both have sort of rounder, pebble-like structures. Yeah. Look at us doing science. Oh. On- <laughs> Unlike Gagan, who is like a very sloppy archaeologist. He's just <laughs> you call it sloppy, I say enthusiastic. Yeah. What's he doing wrong here? Well, he's not really, he's, he's, he's just kind of like... He's got uh, a little brush. He's got a little brush, but like, and then he picks it up. Like, it's, it's not being photographed, it's not being scanned. Or like, oh, look, a piece of cloth. It's like, oh, I'm just going to feel it. And like, it's like not really very well documenting exactly how it was found and how... Shields up. I'm going to imagine that they have, like, aside from personal cloaking device, they also have, like, personal sterilization tools so that they're not putting anything at risk by touching it. Only the environment. So they've got to be very right. careful in, like, subtracting the sand. But once you pick it up yourself, you're covered in that sort of right, sterilization it, field. No, no, I get that. But it, it uh, might be, I'm, I'm talking more here. about the fact that, like, unless they did run a detailed scan of the entire place first. But even then, you'd like you know, it's important how things lie in uh, relation to before you start disturbing. Yeah, before them. you start disturbing, and that's what that's more the point that I'm trying to make, not the fact that he's contaminating it. That's but. very that's very sensible. I'm, I'm reminded of and chief. Good luck if you can find out what I'm talking about here. But I read about a corpse that had been found deep, deep, deep in a cave structure. Yeah, that was very, very hard to access. You know, it's one of those ones where you have to do like two hours of belly crawling yeah. in a twenty centimeter gap or whatever before you get yeah. to the. <laughs> I'm not claustrophobic, but whoo, that would give me... <laughs> I am claustrophobic, so I'm not sure how much I want to be looking at what this is now myself, either. Yeah, that's... <laughs> hmm. You've, you've, you've got to be good with caves if yeah. you want to get into uh, archaeology, paleontology, and anthropology. But so, this was found, and it, it was unclear... The hypothesis was that it would placed there. Right? Okay. It could have also been crushed, or there could have been rock movements. Uh-huh. It's possible. But it was 
pretty like convinced it was placed there and there were markings, symbolic markings around. It was a very, very old structure. Oh, yeah. And then there was a lot of discussion about like, what was the purpose for this? Like, was this a place of honor or was this someone that they hated so much or were so afraid of that they, yeah, that they sort of get this corpse away from, from all the rest of us? Yeah. But I mean, like, getting a corpse through those like tiny tight holes oh, and terrifying. stuff, that must, be, but that must be, yeah, difficult too, you know? Uh, like if you can barely crawl through yourself, like try wedging a corpse with that because like... Hey, people like, didn't have a lot to do then. Fair. Yeah, you know, no, it's food like, still growed on trees what? and they're, they're just sitting around like, what do we do? Oh, some pointless ritual, We're gonna, I guess. We're going to do with, old, with, with Dave the Horror. <laughs> yeah, spider Georg. They retrieve some other bones, and then they go back to uh, the ship, and uh, Gagan is excited to, well, basically reveal his discovery. They've got it all on all a sort of uh, forensic slab, and they're putting all the bones in the mm-hmm. order that they think it goes in. It's so cool that they use all these tropes of archaeology and... What does CSI do? Forensics. Forensics, yes. Yeah, forensic science that we immediately recognize, but it's these aliens doing it. And it takes so long before we see anyone from Voyager. 15 minutes. Right? Like, yeah, it's like the first 15 minutes of this episode is just the the Vorg. The Voth, Voth yeah. sorry. Like, we had the entire cold open. Oh, I love the design of their ship, by the mm. way. It's, it's it very looks pretty. like an undersea animal. Yes, I can see, yeah. I see what you mean. A little bit like a cuttlefish, but slightly more... Uh, oh, yeah. It's got uh, all these glowy bits. We get an almost Hamlet-like moment where Gagan is like holding the skull. Down. Alas, poor York, <laughs> yeah. I knew him, Horatio. What did you see with your eyes? Did you, like, Those lips I kissed, nine, I know not high off. <laughs> nine moons or none. It's like, yes, very here. <laughs> and then he immediately sort of catches himself up. He appears to be at a loss for words. Yes. Anthropomorphizing these fossils in the way that, or these remains, yeah. in the way that we would as well. Now, of course, I, I actually thought, found this quite sort of confronting mm-hmm. because we've seen, I, I didn't know it was uh, Ensign Hogan, but we've seen yeah. him alive and these are his remains. Yeah. Uh, it must be a harsh planet if he gets down to that in a year. Oh, then again, there might have just be some critters chewing on him. Yeah, right. Yeah. The local wild... He was just in a cave that you could walk into. Yeah. Nice how those Star Trek caves all seem to have flat floors. Just Lovely, little, isn't it? A little <laughs> bit of junk, but like yeah. no major height differences. <laughs> so convenient. But uh, yeah, the way that Gagan sort of challenges and lectures Veer and trying to elicit like... We have to go out on a limb. And a lot of his assumptions yeah. are are uh, a little bit wild. But you sort of get there. And this is how our scientists do it as well. You find They find a, a, a chunk of uniform in engineering gold, as we recognize. Yeah. Is this marking purely decorative, or does it have a symbolic function? Could it indicate status? Possibly a military uniform. It must be for fertility rituals. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a dildo. <laughs> yeah, we keep finding all these pestles, but not enough bowls to go with them. It's super weird. Yes. No, it's a Bilbo, dude. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, anytime that a, that an anthropologist say, "Oh, it's an, uh, it's a fertility right thing," they mean dildo. Yes, they just don't want to put go, have their funding cut out there for saying say dildo. It. Yes, cut to the the city ship, as they call it, which is apparently the largest ship they've ever had on Star Trek. Oh, yeah, is that true? Do some quick math. Cubes are quite big. Yeah, but they're not that big. There was the, uh, the, uh, well, the, 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 triv- the trivia says, yeah, like, no, uh, 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 up until then, V'ger was the biggest one. Uh, yeah, but that was mostly, like, an energy cloud yeah. and, like, artificial structures. I don't know if it was solid all the way through. Hmm, good question. Not sure. Uh, it's been a long time since I saw that movie. There's a director's cut now, and it's it's longer, 
Okay. But also, weirdly, a lot better. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Sounds like worth watching sometime. Maybe. Certainly. It really is. And we meet the minister. And what's her name? I had it written down. Uh, oh, is it? I don't, so... Odala. Minister Odala. Odala uh-huh. Played by, apologies if I'm mispronouncing, Conchetta Tomei. Her only role on Star Trek, I initially thought that she was the same actress who played the female founder, the leader of the, okay. of the founders in the Alpha yeah. Quadrant in DS9. Had a similar, like, a wonderfully deep, resonant voice. A pile of bones. Impressive. And I found her just a fascinating character because she's the antagonist. Yes. She is the church doctrine keeper minister. I mean, she's minister of science, I think. Minister of the Council of Elders. Right. So yes. they have a, a gerontocracy. Oh, look at us extrapolating from yeah. limited information again. Um, oh, I mean, that's funny when they like, oh, we'll get to that when they're, when they're on the bridge, when, the, when they're doing the whole... Uh, oh, yeah. It, it, it is kind of cute because they, they're kind of uh, pastiching the whole the thing, what the crew of whichever the starship from the Star Trek ever does is when they're on a planet, they're standing there like theorizing about what they're seeing around them. Yes. It's like, yes. So it's very, it's very funny to see that done to a uh, crew rather than them standing around the planet. It's uh, so cool. It's, it's kind of like the Star Trek cosplayers at a Ren fair, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where traditionally like at least one of the, uh, uh, society for creative anachronism. SCA, yeah. People will have like a Starfleet temporal investigation badge, like under their lapel that they yeah. can flash and like give me the name of your instructor like, we do not accept <laughs> first years on these missions who is your captain what are you doing we've been working here like you're breaking like uh, uh, yes you're breaking the prime directive here i will have you for this you yeah. will be reported yeah. it's such a great move <laughs> although uh, i've got to say like confused spock with his tricorder at a renfrey is is a favorite thing of mine to see mm-hmm. i know it's such a huge cliche but i love it every time and i really like odala uh-huh. Because she is a, a very multidimensional uh, antagonist, even though she does the same thing over and over. But I think of her much in the way that I think of the, um, oh, Chief, what were the aliens called in the Enterprise episode, A Night in Sick Bay? That would be the Kratassins, cocky. Thank you. She actually wants things to go well. She wants things to, 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 to be smoothed out. Right. She but her need- definition of well is, you know, clouded or at least colored. Right. And, and what's fascinating over the course of this, this episode is to learn her various motivations mm. and to see her like she it is possible to sway her. Yes. It just takes a lot more than, than what's available here. She's not completely unreasonable. She's not completely orthodox. She's just very orthodox. Right. Yeah. She's not dismissing it out of hand. I mean, she says like, We will consider your request for an expedition. And yeah, I've got that means- and deny them. Yeah, we'll, we'll think about them and then we'll dismiss them. Veer thinks, oh, well, that went well. Yeah. <laughs> and Gengen goes, no, the f*** it did. Yeah. Uh, and they are off again on a quest to find the Voyager. There's a quick bit of a montage. Across the vastness of space to find one ship among a sea of stars is no simple matter. And for many weeks we found nothing. And they find these traders that mentioned, oh, there was these weird yeah. adventurers. Like, oh, that yeah, came that through. uniform looks, but they, the skin wasn't green. It was like, it was pale white. Bit, bit, yeah, bit. Ah, let's change that. And eventually. Yeah, Caucasian, they meant, of course. Yes. So clearly, Harry Kim wasn't the one who beamed down. <laughs> yeah. Or Tuvok or Neelix. No, true. I mean, Neelix doesn't wear Or Chakotay. Yeah. Actually, so it must have been either Tom Paris or a nobody in order to identify, like, yeah. a male with brown hair. 
sorry, a nobody, a non-regular crew member. Right, one of the non-named crew members. Let's... Oh, we skipped over a little bit where they headed out because Veer came back. The Ministry has ceased your research and they're planning to detain you. On what charge? Heresy against doctrine. And Gagan goes over the warnings of his daughter, mm. uh, who yes. was there, whom, whom Veer sort of briefly has a non-verbal like, connection with. Well, there's a little mention of it later where Revere goes like, well, you've got a nice daughter there. And it's like, and, and Gagan goes like, well, we traditionally mate with that other family. But, you know, if you, say, if, you show your, if you show, if you live up to your promise, we might be able to work something out. He was doing that sort of patriarchal thing of mocking my patriarchal authority in order to impress a, a lesser male and then giving approval anyway. But they managed to find a warp canister, which was traded by the Voyager. And be, also from a previous episode, which they can then use. Is to, it? Yes, it was. A, I, I forgot to write down which one it is, but that is also a reference to a previous episode. I knew I recognised the Necrot Expanse when it was mentioned that they right. were going to the uh, the edge of that. Uh, Chief, can you fill us in on the details there? Yes. So the visit to the Barat space station is an, a reference to the episode Fair Trade, which is one of my favourite Neelix-based episodes. And then the canister of warp plasma that they're talking about from the TacTac Trader is probably from the trade mission that we see at the beginning of Macrocosm, where Janeway fights, like, an enormous, like, facehugger-type virus. And it's very extra, very, like, Sarah Connor, Ellen Ripley-era, like, Janeway getting to kick ass, and it's great. Thank you. Thank you. I love these warp, or the trans warp trails. Yeah, that uh, the ship is traveling to, through. Like at once, it looks, it looks slower than regular warp, but it also looks just effortless, mm, just gliding, gliding through. Yeah, yes. exactly. So they go into cloaking mode uh, and beam aboard the Voyager, and then that's why they do the uh, whole. Oh, look! Let's let, let's watch them interact. Like they really are, like Starfleet cosplayers right. at a Ren fair, massively to- getting it wrong. Of course, not <laughs> realizing that Balana is probably a different species because, like you know, as you said, they have the sexual dimorphism between themselves, and of course, the face bone ridges on the uh, forehead are completely normal as far as they're concerned. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point. <laughs> But they do sort of identify male and female immediately. Yes. And they go, oh, so according to ritual, let's observe. Yeah. <laughs> Note how the female, through her feigned antagonism, encourages the male in his attempt to mate. And they're right. True. Yep. They're right, because Balana, like, a lot of her antagonism is feigned. Yep. Klingon, like, girl. Yeah, and also, you know, a, a, a mixed ethnicity person, like, and a person who, like, struggles with connections. Like, antagonism is a good way to filter out those people who actually care about you. Yeah. Who'll, who'll sort of tolerate it. And that includes Tom Paris, because they're talking about, oh, this, this, this error is, no, it's definitely in the plasma condoms. No, it's in the anodyne relays. Betcha. Uh, yeah. Okay, fine. And it's the payment for that bet is, what was it again? Holodeck 2. Klingon martial arts program, no getting out of it this time. And uh, it's BYOB. And she goes like, huh, what? Bring your own bat left. <laughs> and they're just fascinated. And Veer observes, like, oh, there's no sign of vasodilation in their skin. Oh, yeah, they might have not developed that. How can they, like, possibly, like, communicate if they can't... Uh... If you can't sort of change color. Yeah. Which would explain their reliance on crude verbal interplay. Well, and on the bridge, they conclude that it is a matriarchal society because Janeway is a... Uh, the males appear to be subordinate to that female. A woman. 
Yes. Which is, again, is like boots of conclusion jumping because... Well, there are only men on the bridge of Voyager, except this one female. Oh, okay, fair. No, that makes that makes more sense then, yes. Right, so yeah. uh, this is the, the center of authority. Almost like the opposite of uh, Strange New Worlds, where it's like, which has an almost entirely female, at least primary, bridge crew. Uh, yeah, at one point, yeah. 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 Not counting Spock in the, uh, in the, in the background people. Right, with the exception of Spock, yes, and uh, Pike. Um, and I think... So there's a lot of really interesting camera work here because the Voyager bridge doesn't feel like it normally feels. Mm. It's normally filmed with these long lenses, not as yeah. long as in the first episode. No, there, there, there's actually a, a stylistic choice, again, which they had to film the aliens. They, mm-hmm. they filmed them up, up, really up close with really wide lenses and from slightly from below, yeah. which is a great look for aliens, not so much for humans, but it does give the whole episode a bit more of an alien viewpoint uh, experience. Yes, and really makes a lot of, uh, gets a lot of mileage out of those, those alien makeups, which are so yeah. good. Because, yeah, I noticed this a lot, especially once we get to Galileo's trial. So much of the, uh, the, the episode is carried by extreme close-ups mm-hmm. of these rubber-faced aliens, where literally the only thing that we see of the actor are their, are their eyes and, and gums. Mouth. yeah. Uh, and not even their eyes, they're wearing, uh, they're wearing contacts. Yeah. But they're fascinating. You fill the screen with this beautiful design. Kim manages to detect weirdness. I'm picking up spatial fluctuations. Uh, ah, they're not quite so primitive. And after a little bit of finagling, they realize that, like... Looks like some kind of cloaking technology. All stop. Yep. So, red alert, shields up. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, some Intru- kind of energy Intrud- shield. Intruder alert, yes. Because uh, Tuvok, Tuvok has uh, blocked off the bridge with the shield, but with a little bit of um, sciencing, they managed to... Uh, get themselves around that and manage to transport themselves into the... The mess hall. The mess hall. Where Neelix is just sort of standing with some food. Intruders? I don't see any intruders. <laughs> also a fantastic frame, as was on the bridge. There's this shot that we keep coming back to with, uh, with Kim really close. Uh-huh. And we see the, uh, the captain out of focus and just this empty space where we know the Voth are. Yes, that, that's, that's done really well, how they, how they cut back and forth between... Scenes where you, the Voth are visible because we are viewing the scene from the Voth viewpoint, and yes. the scene where they're not visible because we're viewing them from the crew's viewpoint. These wide-angle shots, we get so much mileage out of them because even in the elevator, like Chakotay, Tuvok, and three security officers are all crammed in the turbo lift, and we see them from above, and you kind of expect like the girl from Space Ipanema to be playing. <laughs> They get a hot tip. Adjust hand phasers to a dispersion frequency of 1.85 gigahertz. That should disrupt their cloaking technology. Acknowledged. They shoot them. There's a little bit of an uh, exchange. Chakotay uh, gets darted by uh, Veer. Yeah. Uh, and there's like, yeah, there's basically a hostage exchange, an involuntary one, where Gagan grabs the unconscious Chakotay. And, and transports away. Transports back. But now uh, Veer is captive of the Voyager. And looks up at, uh, you know... Like every, like, four, like, like uh, what's it? Uh, <laughs> four uh, phasers. Yep. Put it at his face. Everybody's standing over there, like, welcome to Earth, mother... <laughs> <laughs> this would be a weird scene in, in sickbay where they try to examine him, but he, like, goes into hibernation or something. Yes. He only verbalizes some, some clicks, which we don't know whether we're supposed to understand or not. We've, we've heard that before, because that's how the... That's in the opening shot when they're communicating mm-hmm. in the cave that you also hear the same. So that's their, their, their mode of speech. Well, but after that, we yeah. hear them speaking to one another. Right, but I, mean, I think that's like one of the, just a stylistic choice to change them from like, start with showing that they're aliens and then go into... See, I wonder about that. Mm. Because 
it may be that they have a language as language that can be translated by the universal translator, and then yeah. they have these pops and clicks right. that maybe some other kind of cultural communication kind of like that the UT sounds can't of excitement. handle. Okay, I, I, I mean, it's possible. And that he's keeping yeah. mum, that he's only expressing emotion, right. but not speaking. Yeah, yeah no, very true. I mean, I, I thought it was like a, like a stylistic choice, like they did it uh, in the beginning of the Hunt for Red October, mm. which I also thought a brilliant way of handling that as well. Oh, yeah. Like, for those speaking, of you who haven't seen it, like it starts off with them speaking Russian with the Russian characters singing the. Russian an national anthem, I think, or it's no, it's international. Uh, uh, no, it's a navy song. It's no, it's navy, but but then halfway through the song they start they start switching uh, from. Gonna, uh, yeah? No, 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 it's not. No? It's not the song. It's a uh, the political officer comes into the into Sean Connery's office yeah. and reads him uh, a passage from the Bible. Oh, it's it's a biblical okay. passage, ah. and you get a close up on his face and onto his lips until he reads the reads the word Armageddon which is the same in Russian and English. Right. And then it zooms back out, and now he's speaking English, oh, continuing the... I re okay, I must admit, I thought that like halfway through the song, they changed uh, from, from Russian to that English. That would have been cool too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you for correcting me on that one. See, I was also thinking about the Antonio Banderas movie, The 13th Warrior, in which Antonio Banderas is the only person that the audience is seeing speaking English until like halfway through a campfire scene when they're just talking, 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 and then they switch to English, and then Antonio Banderas speaks English, and they're like, oh, you can speak our language. And he's like, yeah, well, because I listened. And they're like, ah, you're not just like a dumb whatever region he's supposed to be from. So that's what I was thinking, which is just a very similar trope. It's a trope that I really like to kind of nod like, yeah, they should be speaking this language, but we're making this for like an English speaking audience. So yeah, we're gonna have them speak English because that's just what Hollywood does. Not to go all Vulcan and sort of pointing out <laughs> your, your, your flaws. I just, I agree. That's a really great way of like showing language differences and then also like converting them into- Yeah, uh, making it easier to like, okay, because we're not gonna do all of this in Russian. We're just gonna keep it in English. But, but Veer goes into cryptobiosis. Yes. He just sort of refuses. He's like, no, actually, f this. And he just pretends to fall asleep, essentially. Like, he yeah. just... Is he dying? I don't think so. His autonomic nervous system is still fully functional. He's got into some sort of protective hibernation. Which, you know, if I had that ability... Yeah. My relationship with my parents during my teenage years would have been quite different. <laughs> just at any, if I could just narcolept my way out of any conversation <laughs> I didn't want to have, yeah. I'd just do it all the but, time. Yeah. Like, ah. uh, this is mirrored by a, the opposite scene, really, on board uh, Gagan's ship, where Chakotay is woken up by him. Robert Beltran just knocked it out of the park this episode. Ah. Right? Everyone did, because he, he wakes up in, in a similar situation, and he balances two things really well. As a diplomat and an explorer, he knows first contact is messy. Yeah. And it's fine to be on the other side of that. He recognizes that he's not under threat. He's not being abused. Things will be fine and he wants to contribute. But he also sets personal boundaries. Look, drop the force field and tell me what's going on. Then maybe we can make first contact in a civilized way. These are my sort of boundary conditions. And we need to attain a compromise if you're equally as interested. Yes, and he gets informed that he's like captain of, in a force field. And he goes like, well, you, you might want to turn that down. I promise I won't bite. I'm not saying I'm not going to punch you, but I'm not going <laughs> to... <laughs> but he identifies himself. Hey, I'm a scientist myself and a diplomat and a com command officer, all of which are true. And yeah, like the fact that he says, I won't bite. And then Gagan, very trustingly, yeah. lowers the force field. Yes. And his trust isn't betrayed. 
Because that's what Chakota is investing in at this point. I mean, Gagan has been observing things as they're uh, happening on Voyager, so they, he's gotten a little bit of an idea of what they are. Like, I mean, he probably would have responded differently if, he, if it had been a Klingon vessel that they'd been investigating. Yeah, that's interesting. Because he, he says that, you know, we don't have good relationships with, with endotherms, as they keep talking yes. about, warm-blooded. Yeah, I mean, we kind of consider them inferior species. It's like, I know we're being a little bit specious about this, but, like, I mean, pretty much literally gets said at that point. We, we yeah. kind of consider you a little bit inferior. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they don't... All the mammals seem to have roughly similar and lower levels of technology, mm. which is, again, sort of cultural bias. Uh, this was something that also quite differed between what I learned in school when I went to school and what I learned later about, you know, cultural development. We talk about the Iron Age and the Bronze Age and the Stone Age. Yeah. And they have sort of associated cultural and technological accomplishments. But those are true only for areas of Europe. Yes. Like those specific peoples, those specific environments. Like I learned about how it was described that the Bronze Age lasted a lot longer in China than it did in Europe. Yeah. And I later learned about like the Bronze Age collapse because Europe, hugely reliant on bronze technology, didn't produce like copper and tin in the quantities that were that necessary. Were required, no. Unlike Africa, which is where most of the European bronze came from, African mm-hmm. empires and, and nation states that suffered like a series of political collapses and then that sort of export dried up. And like iron uh, technology yeah. was already known, but it's hugely expensive. Yeah, you have to burn your fires much hotter yeah. and it's uh, yeah much more, hard, hard, more more difficult to work with and everybody knew it was better yeah. you know iron tools and, and weapons are better than, than than bronze ones but not so much better that they're worth 20 times the expense yeah but if you'd like yeah, until you run out run out of bronze and then you're like well guess where you're going this way now yeah and so like that same logic applied to China but China could produce bronze at scale and had therefore no incentive to move to the much more expensive iron yep but yeah, I've long been fascinated by like how much bias is in our interpretations, and seeing that reflected here yeah, is very really well done. fantastic. Yeah. So basically, he tells them like he's he wants to take Chakotay back home. I'm being charged with heresy against doctrine. You're my only evidence. If enough people see living proof of my theory, even the ministry will be forced to acknowledge the truth. There's a short period where Chakotay is on board and like provides him with a lot of information, as he promised about Earth. And sort of hypothesized, like, what if it evolved on an isolated continent? A landmass that was destroyed. Earth has been devastated by countless natural disasters over the course of its history. Asteroids, volcanoes, earthquakes. All evidence of your race could be at the bottom of the ocean or under kilometers of rock. And was just undetectable to contemporary yep, uh, covered human up scientists. by a volcano. Very well possible. Meanwhile, Janeway asks the doctor to transfer yourself to Holodeck 2, not... Like, meet me in Holodeck 2. No, just transfer. So I want to talk to you in Holodeck 2. Yeah. Where they are going to do doing a little bit of genome extrapolation. Basically, <laughs> there, are, there are 47 uh, markers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had a thought. Yeah. Uh, the doctor first pulls up the most recent common ancestor, and it turns out to be this lizard creature. Yep. And, Chuk- and Janeway is so disinterested. Yeah, whatever. Let's, let's, let's move on. Is that maybe because she looks at this and she sees, ah, that's Tom Paris. Oh, possible, yes. <laughs> That's what Tom Paris and I looked like. So you mentioned uh, uh, looking at it. So what they did in this scene is they had some foam core, very basic rudimentary models, you know, like mm. those uh, 
dinosaur bone cutout uh, models that you get. They had yeah. this from, just for size reference to make sure that the, uh, the the sight lines for all the actors were correct. Oh uh, yes, and, so the then they, and then they replaced them with. It's not actually CR. It's just like basically little toy models of dinosaurs. That no uh, wonder they look so great. That they were uh, CGI imposed into the shots. That's really great because the lighting is fantastic. Yep. I noticed that they're working with a lot uh, a deeper depth of field than they usually do, mm. so that the uh, the composition would work really well. But I really like this scene. I've always really liked Voyager's holodeck. Ah, the one with yeah, with all the struts and the uh... yeah, you got the scaffolding and the projectors exposed. Yeah. It's like I I sort of imagine that the black and yellow line environment of the next generation, like that's really cool. But it's mostly like cosmetic. Probably yeah, the projectors are all behind that and. Uh... And like yeah. for entertainment purposes, they they hide that, but it's not necessary on a, a smaller ship like. It's also Voyager. easier to clean up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Depends who's been using the uh, the holodeck <laughs> oh, like for what. what yes. <laughs> but yes, they do a little bit of genetic uh, extrapolation, and they get to a creature which kind of looks like the uh, the Vaughn, uh, the the, the Voth. Voth. I keep yeah. Forgetting their name. So they're kind of like, okay, this seems plausible. To the point where we've got Janeway, like, staring at a profile hollow voth. That creature napping in sickbay is a dinosaur. And then we cut straight to Gagan's ship yeah. in the same composition, except it's Chakotay and, uh, and Gagan. Yep. And they're uh, yeah, more and more science-y can uh, talk about how to go about the, their business. Yeah, uh, where Chakotay is coming to the realization, no, hold on. I'm a hostage. Yes. He's, he's choosing not to express that yet to uh, to Gagan, but like to you, if you're treating me like a specimen, yeah. then I'm not going to behave like a person. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a bit of a throwaway scene with Paris and Tuvok where they test out the personal cloaking device of the. This should do the trick. With an apple. An apple. As yeah. Tuvok says. Like I was uh, expecting a bio canister, but. I guess it, 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 it works. I guess it'll work, yeah. Hey, I just thought of something. It's not a throwaway scene, it's a setup. And the payoff comes later on because Tom uses the cloaking device to conceal oh, yes, himself. Of yes, yes, that's how he did it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Classic right. setup yep. payoff. Yep. It's uh, Chekhov's cloaking device. I'm reading a massive spatial displacement dead ahead. And a gigantic ship comes out of Transwarp over little old Voyager. Manages to disable them almost instantly. There is a tractor beam like device that grabs them, but then ends up transporting them into the interior the of the ship. ship of the city ship yes so and it's like, can you transport a warp core apparently apparently they, they can. can yeah yeah <laughs> like, actually that's really good can you transport antimatter i mean i don't say why not but should you though? that's another question entirely. <laughs> yeah. yeah can you safely transport antimatter <laughs> yeah it looks so cool i remember like seeing this for the first time and just being blown away at the concept yeah of a ship in a ship Gagan, who's with Chakotay on his way to something or the other fort. The fourth colony. Fourth colony. Fourth colony, yes. Yeah, you can just sit this one out, Chief. I've yeah. got you. But he gets a message that Voyager has been captured and will be destroyed if he doesn't return to the city ship. And now their interests are aligned again. Yeah. It's a bit of an O-bugger moment. Which, but I think it's very interesting that like they never actually see each other. It's like Voyager is being held kind of like in storage. So Gagan and Chakotay are being brought before the uh, minister, but everybody on Voyager is just left on Voyager, despite the fact that they yeah. actually have contact with them. They the- never come up nope, again. never. Until the very, very end. We do see a couple of scenes on, on Voyager. We've yeah. got this, um, oh, what's his name? Hakul? 
There's a brief scene where basically, Par well, this is the scene where you just mentioned, Paris manages to use the uh, cloaking device to get the drop on one of the aliens and uh, get into a fire control. Yes. Meanwhile, Janeway is talking to, I don't know who, one of the other aliens. Or I can actually find it on, on Memory Alpha. Chief, what was his name? Um, oh, no, wait, here, Halleck. Halleck. Halleck, yes. Well done, Kay. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you scouring the evidence <laughs> and coming up with the name of this. Uh... Hey, and it's one thing I don't have to look up for you guys, so I'll take it. Janeway sort of tries to impress when uh, she gets a comm from, from Paris saying, Paris to Janeway. Captain, if you can hear me, I've got weapons control and I've armed a full spread of torpedoes. Ah, well then fire. Lieutenant Paris, fire. You might want to hold on to something. And yep. she sort of big dogs him with a right. chin. And yeah, he, we're, we're going to like make a hole in your hole and then we're going to fly out of this. And they respond by shutting Voyager down a little bit more. Captain, someone on the alien vessel detected my launch sequence. I don't know how they did it, but I'm completely locked out. Yeah. Halleck was not impressed. No, you are here to be prisoners. And as he says, like the Voyager captain is, is proving to be uncooperative. I request an interrogation surgeon whoa. to assist. Yes. Fucking whoa, dude. <laughs> That's like, yeah, you mean a torture guy. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's horrifying that this is part of their culture. Like, oh, we thought that you were kind of reasonable a lot. No, you but have. Fortunately, at that moment, point in time. It won't be necessary. Gagan is in custody. He surrenders himself, I think I should call it. And, uh... and then begins the trial of the close-ups. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even, like, no. like, mocking it or anything. Like, there's all these moving close-ups as well. Like, these really beautiful sort of organic shots establishing close-ups of characters who are going to be speaking a lot. And throughout this all, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly most interested in, in Odala because she actually is listening to people. Mm -hmm. But she has a, a huge sort of internal motivation and, yes. and a lot of information that, that she thinks is very important. She basically accuses Gagan from what I thought was hilarious. It's like casual theorizing. Mm. It's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant... Uh... Well, that's her first attempt. She's trying to create a scenario where Gagan will pull back from much like... Galileo, yeah. you know, if you skip the last bit, if you just don't talk about yeah. God not existing. She, but, but she, yeah, she gives him every opportunity to recant his heresy, heresical theory as, yeah. uh, she's, as she sees it. Because she's not, I mean, okay, you have to admit, like, she is not interested in the truth. Oh, I actually won't go that far. Mm-hmm. I think that she is interested, but I think she has other priorities that weigh very heavily. And you see okay. it later on. We are not immigrants. Right. Now, we know that the Voth have complicated relationships with endotherms, who are, you know, a lot of them are technologically yeah. inferior. But yet, they live on this nomadic ship. They talk about, like, they have the fourth colony. That's not a lot of colonies to have for an interplanetary species. No. Well, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of kind of a weird comment. Like, mm. yeah, we are not like we are not. We're not immigrants. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's literally what you. I mean, you're just literally flying around in your city ship. They don't seem to have a very strong rooted nature. Which probably, like their doctrine, does a lot to explain. You know, mm. as a as a, a sacred text or right. Yeah, uh, not knows? sacred necessarily, but yeah, because according to their doctrine, they were the first species to evolve intelligent life in this region of space. Very yeah. importantly, and even though their like homeworld is is lost to them, they have an ancestral claim here. And like she talks about, when I when I hear this hypothesis, I see my race fleeing your wretched planet, a group of pathetic refugees. Crawling and scratching their way across the galaxy. 
stumbling into this domain. I see a race with no birthright, no legacy. But Chakotay turns that around. Yeah. Uh, he says, like, well, I can, can I kind of see it differently. I see a proud species that, like, got themselves out of a problem and uh, then travel all this way. They stayed together, kept going with the same courage that had served them before until they reached this quadrant where they laid the foundation of what was to become the great Voth culture. And I genuinely see Odala like absorbing that and being quite impressed with it. Maybe not as much as mm. she would have been from uh, a fellow Voth, because yeah. he is an endotherm. But she shuts up. She lets him finish. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The thing is that then, yeah, then we get to the point where she goes like, "Well, the data is." I mean, Chikot says like, "Well, I mean, coincidence? Maybe if it was just you and us." But this marker shows up in hundreds of species on our planet. So yep. that doesn't sound like a coincidence. And then she goes all doctrine because she's like, the data isn't questioning, your interpretation is, which is kind of a weak, no, you're, weak-ass uh, argument. No, 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 it's not your, their interpretation is yours. You are trying, trying to reinterpret data in a way to match so, so you don't have to question your... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I'm going to take the side of Odala just for yeah. debating purposes because, no, she, she is wrong, right? She's yeah. dealing with a, a larger political um, power structure that is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's opposed to the truth. But here's, here's one of the things that you don't like. There are a lot of people who cite uh, Galileo Galilei in bad faith. Mm. As you know, uh, there are radical theories and anyone who's opposed to them is, uh, yes. is, is, is orthodoxy. And eventually, for every Galileo, you had 999 other absolute crackpots just yelling hypotheses. Right. No, absolutely. With, with no yeah. basis. But everybody thinks that they're Galileo and not that they're the crackpot. Right. Yeah. And while it's presented as this binary with either you're with the establishment or you're with the, the, mm. the maverick scientist who knows the truth, no, there are three factors here. Yeah. There are also this huge volume of f***ing crackpots. And you, as a Galilean, you have an obligation to distinguish yourself from those. Like, why are you different from, well, I have all this data. They also claim they have a bunch of Mm -hmm. data. Our planet's recent experience with a worldwide pandemic has brought that to the fore and taught us a little bit about that. But she, I mean, she's quite kind to him almost, or at least like... All I ask is that you admit the possibility that your interpretation is wrong. Will you at least do that? So it's like, he says, well, I admit there's, there's questions, the picture's incomplete, but he's certain yeah. that, they're, that they're from Earth. You know, that's like, that's something that he won't recant on. Yeah. Uh, and she goes, oh, well, that's a shame. Like, there's people who disagree. And Veer is brought in, who is acting all cowed and goes like, well, no, no, he's completely wrong. I now believe that we were overzealous. We saw an evolutionary connection when, in fact, there was none. He's clearly bowing under the pressure of, yeah. I mean, maybe threat or not, but he's clearly caved. Yeah. And Gagan is outraged. Like, what did you do to him? Did you threaten him? Did you threaten his family? Did you take away his honors? Like, all of these things that are very important to a scientist. You're trying to manipulate uh, someone I care about. Yep. But through his outrage, he... He's not seeing the strategy that's unfolding here because, like what what she said earlier, can you at least admit that there may be some doubt to these mm-hmm. these findings? Like that was her giving so much to him. This is the right. least ask. Yeah, and of a scientist, it's a really simple ask. Is there any possibility of doubt? Yes. 
As a scientist, yes, absolutely. There's loads of doubts. Yes, we can always create doubts. That's, I mean, that's the whole point of science. Yeah. Create, creating doubt and then refuting it. <laughs> but with that knowledge as a baseline, yeah. you don't have to admit it. You don't have to say that that... that True. Distinguish it. There is doubt about everything. There's doubt about gravity. And he gets another chance to recant his theory. And when he refuses that, she goes like... Okay, I don't want to do this, but, uh, you know... Here comes the here, stick. Here comes the sentence. I, I really respect that she doesn't say that she doesn't want to do it. No, but she she, she, she projects it. it. She projects it. She, likes it. she doesn't say, I don't want to do it, but you can clearly see the reluctance in her. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I've been trying to avoid doing it, yeah. but I am going to do it. Gagan, you are guilty of heresy against doctrine and will be placed on a detention colony. For as long as you breathe, you will neither teach nor engage in research. Your life as a scientist has ended. Which he accepts with a sort of air of martyrdom. Yeah. But then... Yeah. Chakotay of the Voyager starship. You, your captain and her crew will join Professor Gagan. And then he gets another opening. Yeah. Uh, actually, what, what, what is it? What no, is he, uh, he, he sort of... Go, you, you can't do that. And she goes, oh, do you have anything further to add to your testimony then? Right, yes. And he has a very bitter pill to swallow there. Yeah. <laughs> he has to... Because he's finally caught up to yeah. what's actually being played. Like, you never had a chance here. No. She was working really hard... To let him lose with as much dignity and like stability and but honor he was never he was yeah he was never going to win that trial which he actually mentions like uh, how yeah. this is like not a trial it's like we're not we're working on a you're working on a foregone conclusion the outcome of this was always and yes when he realizes that then he with great difficulty I have reconsidered and I retract my claims regarding the distant origin theory. My analysis of the data was obviously flawed. And here she, Odala shows herself like really as a villain more than she has so far when she graciously accepts his, his recantment and suggests that maybe after so many years of paleontology... Perhaps metallurgical analysis would be a more rewarding vocation for you. But yes, heresy against doctrine is what's like... Ugh. I mean, just those words alone sound like... Uh, yeah, That's just uh, like, I think they're uh, very well chosen oh, for yeah. this, this story because they don't directly address like any particular... No, uh, no, but it, it, but it, it shows a kind of dogmatic thinking, which yeah. is like, yeah. Which is culturally really hard to identify mm -hmm. in, your, in your own like value system and self-image. And for the Voth, it's very hard as well. Like they actually kind of, from the, the evidence that we have, they really rely on, on this origin myth for the strength and the fortitude they have to exist in what's probably a very hostile quadrant to them. I suppose, yes. So. Although they do seem to be the big dogs for a large part. Yeah, but nobody's ever heard of them. Yeah. Right? They're nomadic. They have a few... They're not like a known major power. No, I suppose not. Well, uh, as far yeah. as we know. Maybe they, maybe they just don't bother themselves with, you know, warm bloods. They kind yeah. of keep to themselves, like, <laughs> whatever they're doing. Chief Engineer Greg here. I do kind of wonder if the reason why they aren't exactly known is not so much that they're not known so much as... No, we just don't talk about those, like, dinosaur people because they're dirty, because they don't have a home. They're kind of looked down on because of their immigrant status. That could be why Odala is so resistant to this idea 
because it means they are everything that some people may see them as. Yes, she's like, oh, I'm not unreasonable. Like, you were, uh, she's talking to Chakotay. Like, you were yeah. just drawn into this and, like, through no fault of your own. And you'll be returned to your ship. And it would be nice if you left and didn't come back. Yes. Like, <laughs> we will enjoy your absence now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we end with a scene, a goodbye between Chakotay and Gagan. In this lovely sort of set for the scout ship that's, right. that's alongside. It's, like it's, it's got the, uh, the, the interrogation slash medical table in the middle. Uh, I don't think he does a lot of interrogating I know, on, but his, on his ship. It's, it's, like it's, it's where he analyzes the bones. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, a slab. I think that's what you call it. And uh, yes, Chakotay gives him a little model of Earth. He's got a little lunch box that he's yes. brought along that he opens up. And inside is this, is this beautiful little blue marble. About palm size, just right for a Vothad resort. Someday, every Voth will see this as home. Yeah. Eyes open. That phrase that's come of a... It's such a beautiful reflection of the scientific method. This is also my... uh, I'm just going to jump right ahead into the the cutting room deleted scene uh, Ah, phase. Ah, excellent, yeah. Because that's right here at the end of the episode. It's like as soon as uh, Chakotay beams away from board, we see a little pan and zoom in on the lunchbox that the uh, Earth came out of, and there's like this little little kit of these plastic dinosaurs play set, which are in the bottom of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, little plastic dinosaur play set. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, my deleted scenes takes place on uh-huh. the bridge yeah. where we see Harry Kim as identified, like, where it is. And you see behind Harry Kim in the empty space, uh, you see Captain Janeway, like, with her phaser, like, identify yourselves, show yourselves at the empty space. I imagine that's after she held, like, a really inspiring five-minute speech about, like, cooperation and, like, exploration. Right. <laughs> which they'd already missed because yeah, already they, were been... already, they were already gone. And, like, Kim's like, oh, they left, Captain. <laughs> and, like... and throughout all of this, you see Harry just trying to interrupt her every now and then. Yes, but what you have to... And she's sort of waving him away. No, 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 I'm yeah. holding one of my speeches. <laughs> yes. And finally, when she gets so upset at her being ignored, she draws her face. Oh, no, they're gone. Oh, fuck. Couldn't you have told me? I was trying to. <laughs> I, was do- I was doing the dance. I was doing the dance of attention. Mating rituals again. Was there anything... Hey, we don't do that very often anymore. Pike's brief. Do you remember? Like, the, the idea of pointing out something that just didn't make a whole lot of sense? No, I don't think so. Did you I mean, we kind of do those in the dumping of the warp core. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, no, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, the... It's such a talky episode. I very remember much so, it. yes. I remember it as, a like, a rollicking adventure because there was a lot of travel, but it's... There's nothing, no. It's just all parlor scenes, as you like... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I don't think that's fair. Like, a parlor scene is a monologue. Someone explaining okay, something to, to right. someone yeah. else. You know, like the... the... No, it's, it, it is a trial episode, you know, because yeah. we, we see those with some frequency in Star Trek, you know, that something or someone They're is on really trial good. for something or the other, yes. And it's usually as, as social, done as a social commentary. Oh, yeah, because it's Which, a Star Trek. Yeah. Which I'm not sure what the social commentary here would be, other than dogma bad. Uh, let me think about this. 1997. Ooh, intelligent design in schools. Uh, yeah, that was still okay. Uh, uh, yeah, that was still going on. No, you have to teach the controversy. Yeah, yeah, you can totally do that, and you give it the amount of space that it deserves based on the weight of the evidence. Yeah, 
there are those who incorrectly claim it's possible that yes. <laughs> life was artificially it, yeah. created and it's not supported. There are, you know, magazines that, and I, I say this with full respect to Christians and Muslims and, 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 and those with religion. I know it sounds, I know that that's a Dismissive, sort of trite yeah. thing to, yeah. to, to say, but like the scientific method is the best tool that we have for approximating what should be the truth that we mm-hmm. can't know because we don't have an organ that tells us what's true and, and, and false no. and it's flawed but it's really the best we have and it's so much better than any other tool yeah and mainly so because it's self-correcting once if you do it properly then and you keep doing it and you keep yeah and you don't get lost in the doctrine of like, oh, they changed. Like the scientists told me this last week, and now they're telling me this week they're telling me something else. I don't know what they're talking about. No, they learned. Yes. Like, yes, because our opinions <laughs> yeah. change with the facts. Yeah. When new facts emerge, our opinions must change, and they must, and they should. Like when, when we were coming up, the idea that uh, birds are descended from dinosaurs. Right was one of those crackpot theories. Like it was one of those extrapolations. And now, yes. With the weight of evidence that there exists, they are certainly there were dinosaurs whose descendants are now birds. Yeah, which is really kind of sad when you think about like Jurassic Park and like the majesty of those animals, <laughs> and then you see videos on on the internet yeah. of like yeah a chicken or like a sort of parrot learning a little dance and thinks that it's having a, a, a whale of a time. Like, <laughs> what happened to their dignity? Well, you know, animals. <laughs> you being... Imagine like a. A child asking, Mommy, Mommy, what happened to the dinosaur? And Mommy's thinking about that, some video about a stupid parrot doing a stupid yeah. little dance and sort of crying, they're dead, son. They all died out. They're gone. I mean, it's kind of like ironic in a way that, you know, they now make dinosaur nuggets out of dinosaur descendants. Oh, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Chicken dinosaur nuggets. Well, not to upset, <laughs> upset any of your vegetarian listeners, such as Toledo, okay. who I imagine is probably a lot more upset at our, my sort of cavalier and limited understanding of scientific processes, but uh, I hope at least the spirit was okay, because we want to come into this with open eyes. We do. And that being said... You know what? This yeah. time around, instead of just, like, noping out of Starfleet, <laughs> okay. I do want to say, hey, thank you for this recommendation. Like, I think we really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed seeing it through uh, through Toledo's eyes. Thanks for considering this episode, and I hope you have a fun time of it. Also, if listeners want something that scratches some similar itches to Distant Origin, they could check out Christy Golden's Voyager novel, The Murdered Son. That's S-U-N. It was a favorite when I was a kid, and I was pleased to find that it held up as a Star Trek story when I reread it just a couple years back. Plus, it's always fun to encounter a story written when only a single season of Voyager existed, and a story unconstrained by TV budgets. Like uh, story consultant uh, Michael Piller was so impressed by this episode's teleplay that he sent a memo to Joe Minsky, which Joe Minsky, yeah, Minsky, the best Voyager script I've ever read. Whoa! And apparently. The uh, one aspect of this episode that Brandon Bags really liked was the acting. The acting, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what you liked. You liked the I, acting. I liked, he liked the acting, which is like <laughs> that sounds like the answer I'd give if somebody asked me about an episode that I couldn't quite remember at a convention twenty years later. Right, yes. What did you like about this episode? The uh, acting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, and there was one more bit of trivia that I saw. Yeah. I'm leaving Starfleet. Uh, Energize. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode with your friends Kay and Kaki, production and editing by your chief engineer Greg, and music by Fox Amore. Join us next time for Lower Decks Season 2, Episode 3, We'll Always Have Tom Paris. 
visit us at joyoftrek.com links to send us your recommendations, support us on Patreon, and, or to find us on Blue Sky, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to The Joy of Trek, and we'll see you out there.